So we've been hearing about this amazing spread of the gospel of grace and seeing how the Holy Spirit turns outsiders into insiders. And today we're, we're going big with it. We have a very special story. And basically it's about pigs in a blanket. So it's going to be fun. I mean, um, pigs, I don't know if, like, do you think of that or do you think of this? that one I think we're like more influenced by the UK where that I think is more American um, but for the vegetarians th we have <laughs> for Rachel yeah <laughs> um, pigs in a blanket <laughs> his name on on the internet I don't know him in real life is Oinky Wong Kenobi which is su super cheesy and cute but <laughs> so this morning we have a story about pigs in a blanket um, which I didn't draw this myself, but um, there is, we are looking at the story in Acts 10. And throughout the series, we're asking ourselves a question of what's Jesus doing in this situation? And what is he teaching us in this situation? So if you want to follow along using your own Bible, we'll be starting, we're basically working our way through the whole of Acts chapter 10. So let me start, um, and we're just going to kind of learn some things or think about some things along the way. So, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, which is quite a cool name, I think, um, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God, and it says in another version, it was as real as the next-door neighbor coming to visit, who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Isn't that cool that like our prayers and our things that we do actually, like God is saying, you know, he, he sees them, he's held that as an offering before him. Now send men to Joppa, which is the place where Jonah had actually fled when he was disobeying God, to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. Just to make it confusing, Peter, Simon, who's called Peter, is staying with a guy called Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius, I guess like it's hard when we're reading these kind of texts because we read it through our cultural lens, but for, you know, Cornelius was a centurion in the Roman army, which means he would be like a mid-ranking officer and have at least 100 men under his command. Um, but in right back at the start of this series, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus commanded the apostles to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So Rome would have been seen as the hub that kind of gave access to the ends of the earth. So in this story, we're kind of seeing this play out. Cornelius, in some ways, is like the first expansion of the gospel into those areas. So he wasn't, um, he wasn't a Jew. He hadn't converted to Judaism because he was still uncircumcised, but it says that he was a devout God-fearer. And at that time, it would have been expected or, um, I guess, mandatory for those kind of, um, like, uh, the role that he was in in the army. He would have been having to worship Roman gods like that would have been the expectation so here he is as a devout worshipper of God he doesn't follow Jesus yet or he doesn't uh, he's not a Jew but he we see we see he is a devout worshipper of God 
But for the disciples in the early church, there was very much a sense of who was in and who was out. So if you were in, you know, that, that basically is the Jews. These are God's chosen people, also known as Hebrews or as the circumcised. And then they would have known also who was out. So then there's the Greeks, pagans, Romans, Italians, the uncircumcised, and everyone else. So collectively, that's called the Gentiles, meaning not Jews. So that's us, actually. So um, a lot of the, well, most of the Jewish followers of Jesus had really written off the Gentiles, thinking there's no way it's possible for them to be made clean um, in the eyes of God. Um, after all, they would have, you know, to become Jews, to be in their eyes, to become what was acceptable to God, they would have to follow the Jewish Messiah. They'd have to be baptized and circumcised as a Jew. They'd have to follow the dietary rules. They'd have to submit to other Jewish laws and rituals, like what kind of clothes they could wear and couldn't wear, and they'd have to give a tenth of their money. So this kind of thing, you know, it, it was very much like this is how it is. You're in or you're out, and we know who is out. But here is Cornelius. He's not like any, he's sort of not just any Gentile. He's clearly drawn towards the God of Israel. But on the other hand, we, we can't sort of, we see as we go in the story, he, he doesn't yet know Jesus and um, he's also not a Jew. So he's kind of like a kid who's pressing his face against the glass, like trying to see what's happening on the inside or someone eagerly trying to see what's happening over the fence. So let us continue the story. About uh, Verse 9, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat and was thinking about what he was going to have for lunch, which is probably what a lot of you are doing at the moment. Um, <laughs> it happens on, you know, we know. It's hard to listen. Um, while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Don't do that, well, unless it's God. Um, (laughs) He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Sorry, Rachel. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Um, the voice spoke, t- oh, this happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And notice that Peter needs this vision three times, just like when Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? So while Peter was wondering about what this vision meant, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. It, they would have been able to find it by smelling because he was a tanner and it would have smelt like blood and flesh so they called (laughs) um, they stopped at the gate they called out asking if Simon was who was known as Peter was staying there while Peter was still thinking about the vision the spirit said to him Simon three men are looking for you so get up and go downstairs don't hesitate to go with them for I have sent them Peter went down and said to the men I'm the one you're looking for why have you come The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be guests, which is actually quite a, even that in itself is a big deal for him to invite them in. So it wasn't just that the Jews weren't allowed to eat pork, if you had bacon for breakfast this morning. This is, there's a whole range of foods that were forbidden, and these were to mark out the Jewish people from their non-Jewish neighbours, something that was a rule that was reinforced by being prohibited from, you know, Jews were prohibited from eating with non-Jews. 
And the reasoning about it was because the people that you sit down and eat with are family. And the Jewish family had been called by God to be separate, to bear witness to his special love and grace to the world. But here we find that Peter is, he's quite suddenly confronted with the fact that his worldview, his, the way he has known it is, and what it means to be Jewish or what it means to be part of God's family needs changing. So it's, a, it's a, a big thing that's happening. So verse 23, the next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends, so he decided to get everyone he knows and to hear what was needing to be said. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So we're witnessing this kind of ripple that's going to cause a wake throughout the Roman Empire that these, Peter, you know, the good Jew, was about to do something that a good Jew would never do. Enter a Gentile man's house to share the message of Jesus. So these two worlds are colliding as these devout Orthodox Jews are about to meet this household of really eager Gentiles. So this is where there's this massive milestone in the history of the church. Um, interesting kind of reading about why it was such a big deal for the Jews and the Gentiles to be mixing. And, and lots of the Jews would tell stories or, or tell of things, wicked things that Gentiles would do. So there would they'd kind of be the, the rules, but then they'd add these other rules that would try and keep them clean and, and their ceremonial kind of cleanliness that was important to them. So there were stories of the fact that in Gentiles' homes, women were forced to have abortions and the babies were put under the floorboards, but for a Jew, you couldn't, be, you couldn't touch a dead body or you couldn't be near there. So to be sure, they would say, well, you can't go into a Gentile's house. So they'd have these extra rules that they would make up. But then on the other hand, Gentiles thought that Jews were really stuck up. You know, they didn't eat pork, which was the cheapest kind of meat. They, didn't, they had a day off every week um, because, and they wouldn't join in with all the normal social activities. So there's this, I guess, a lot of assumptions or, you know, we, we have these kind of things ourselves of what we think that a group of pe person, uh, people are like or, you know. But the symbols that Peter's had in this vision, the unclean food and, and God commanding him to eat them, this would have been opening his mind to what was going to happen next. So maybe not instantly he wouldn't have kind of connected that God was about to add Gentiles into the family. Um, but, you know, he, this is what's happening. Like He's starting to realize the Spirit is leading him to see that actually God is adding Gentiles to the family that on that sheet or on that blanket um, there were foods that were unclean and some that were clean. It's like we're, we're all in there. So verse 29, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius tells him about what happened. He says, you know, this angel came to tell me to send for you. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. <laughs> I like that, that's kind of polite. Um, but it is, it's a really big deal. It's, they would have been amazed that this has even happened. So we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you, Peter, to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. 
You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee. And basically he goes on to preach the gospel, like he's being, he's, he's probably the best preacher at this stage. And he's, he's as this early church has formed and they're, they're, they've been, he basically preaches wherever he goes about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and what's been happening. So he does that again, but while he was actually still speaking, he hadn't kind of neatly finished his sermon yet, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So even this, when they kind of would probably, you know how it's easy to to think you know the formula? Like, oh, I know how God does this now. Like, we preach the good news, people decide to believe, they get water baptized, and then they can receive the Holy Spirit. Here it's like the Holy Spirit is just interrupting and, um, you know, where, where they, you know, they haven't been water baptized. And so, but even so they're saying, well, if the Holy Spirit sees these people to be fit to be a vessel for, for himself or herself, then who are we to say they can't be water baptized? So this is the moment that we've been waiting for since the first two chapters where Jesus had told them that his followers, that they would be witnesses, you know, to the ends of the earth. So now at last the Spirit comes on the Gentiles as well. And even though that, that place they were in, it wasn't really the ends of the earth, like geographically, but culturally from there it was a very short distance culturally to all the other nations that they were knew of at that time. So here we see the purpose is clear, that Peter and those with him, they need to know that uncircumcised people, the ones who were out, have been regarded by the Holy Spirit as being you know, fit to be filled with his presence and with his voice. So if that's true, then there can be no barriers to baptism. For us, we, I guess we can find that we're, we can be sort of the faithful insiders of our, our story, our chapter of the story. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to kind of think about how we, like Peter, might have resisted the Holy Spirit when, when it didn't, things didn't really match our expectations. Or, you know, how do we respond when the Holy Spirit interrupts our well-thought-out plans or the things that we were doing? Because Peter was on a mission. He was busy preaching the good news to the Jews, which is what he thought he was meant to do. And the Holy Spirit's like, in the middle of all of that, interrupts, oh, I've got a new plan, um, come with me, you know, go and go and do this. And so, you know, we, we've been talking about how the Holy Spirit makes outsiders insiders. And so even when we place boundaries around ourselves, sometimes with really good intentions, the Holy Spirit, um, you know, th th this is the Holy Spirit's particular area of expertise to be breaking down these barriers. Because the point about prejudice is that, you know, we do that when we've already prejudged something, when we make up our minds about someone or something before we know the facts. And then often we can, uh, you know, we, even with good intentions, we can go about sort of finding out just enough of the facts that back up what we, what we believe and conveniently we can ignore the rest. Of so as I was preparing and looking through, um, understanding a bit more about this story, I found myself asking, like, so is the point that 
um, is, is what we're learning from this, is what, in terms of what Jesus is teaching them and teaching us, is it that we're just going to get rid of all the distinctions and we're just going to be tolerant of everyone? Which, you know, that's actually quite a popular um, thing in our culture to accept, ev- you know, all, all religions are fine. It's sort of, do we, do we just actually say, like, that we're just meant to be tolerant of everyone, <coughs> excuse me, um, and, and kind of fit in in that way in what's popular in our time. And I found something that N.T. Wright said really helpful. He, he was sort of saying in terms of this story that to do that would be a bad mistake. If what Peter had discovered was that God simply accepts everyone the way they are, what was the fuss for Cornelius to be devout and God-fearing? Why bother sending for Peter to come and tell him about Jesus? Why not just stay as he was? And people today, they often would refer to this story as a sign that, I guess, in the, in the New Testament, that there's this recognition that all religions lead to God or that all religions are basically the same. And that, that is what N.T. Wright is saying. That's certainly not what Luke intends as the writer of this book. And, and Cornelius and Luke and Peter would have been shocked if that was the suggestion the reason that Cornelius was a devout worshipper of Israel's God was precisely that he was fed up with the normal Roman gods and eager to follow what seemed to him to be the real one. So it's not the case then that God simply accepts us as we are. He invites us as we are, but responding to that invitation always involves the complete transformation which is acted out in repentance, forgiveness, baptism and receiving the Spirit. So following Jesus for these early Christian leaders didn't mean that God runs the world as a democracy or everyone's chosen lifestyle, accepting everyone's opinion about everything or, or their chosen lifestyle. It means that there are no ethnic, geographical, cultural or moral barriers any longer in the way of anyone and everyone being offered forgiveness and new life. And that kind of message, that's actually way more powerful than this easygoing kind of tolerance that our contemporary Western society so easily accepts. But Cornelius, he didn't want God or Peter to just tolerate him. He wanted to be welcomed, forgiven, healed, transformed, and he was. So I guess it's to say that um, the Gentiles, us, or like Jews, are invited to follow Jesus. And then they, like Jews, if, they're to be, if we are to be included in the covenant people of God, we must fear God and do what is right and acceptable to him. In verses 34 and 35, that's what Peter was saying. He was saying, you know, God, God shows no favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. That's kind of a, uh, to be honest, I'd find it actually like way easier if it was just just tolerate everyone and everything and it doesn't really matter then we can you know we can just do what we want but actually this the reason that this message had such an impact on you know in this mission and on Cornelius and his family and friends is because because Peter is telling them you know this God that you've you know you've worshipped um, actually Jesus is at the middle of everything that you have um, known or everything that you might know already about this plan of setting everything right or this God that you've been following, actually it's Jesus that is in the middle of all of this, that God has fulfilled his purposes for which he called Israel in the first place and Cornelius and everyone everywhere who believes this message will receive a welcome into the family. 
But he's preaching that actually he's introducing him to Jesus and then um, the Holy Spirit then, you know, falls upon them. So you remember if we were thinking of him like a kid who's pressing his face against the glass or someone who's trying to see over the side of the fence. But now he discovers that actually the glass has been broken, the fence has been torn down, and he's welcomed in. Um, one of the one author that I really like, she Rachel Held Evans, she talks about. Um, but the gospel doesn't need a coalition devoted to keeping the wrong people out. It needs a family of sinners, saved by grace, committed to tearing down the walls, throwing open the doors, and shouting, Welcome, there's bread and wine, come eat with us and talk. This isn't a kingdom for the worthy, it's a kingdom for the hungry. So beautiful, and like I, I find it, like for myself personally, I have quite a heart for welcoming the outsider, but still I find these things in myself where it would be like, Oh no, but you still have to do it this way, or like it's still like you can, you kind of sort this out and then you get to that point. And so, but it, you know, we are people who have experienced this grace, who then we can be committed to really just following the lead of the Holy Spirit to, um, to open the doors, to, to welcome people, to, to say we've found the source of life, come in and we'll show you who it is. Um, we're as hungry people. So if we're looking at those questions of what Jesus is doing, so we've kind of looked at that, but what is he teaching here? And a, f- a few thoughts as we come to a close. The first thought is that actually conversion comes through God's initiative. So, you know, when the angel said to Cornelius to go and ask Peter to come, and, you know, that, that actually um, He's saying, well, I sent for you, like when Peter asks him, what, why am I here? He says, well, I sent for you because God told me, you know, God first searched for me, basically. God sent for me and told me to, to send you. But it's, it's not that common for most people to have these kind of great visions um, before their conversion. But it is common for people to realize that actually God has been searching for them way before they started to search for God. I really like how um, C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, Agnostics talk cheerfully of man's search for God, but they might as well talk about the mouse's search for the cat. Which is really good news. I think, you know, if it, this means that um, if we're really trying to find and to know God, then we can do that with confidence, um, not with anxiety, but because the very reason that we're even capable of longing for God is because God has already found us and been seeking us and searching for us, that he's already been helping us. That's the only reason we have any kind of longing for God whatsoever. So we can then kind of relax into that with confidence to know that he is the one who is who is searching for us. And even if we f- sometimes feel like there's a sense of his absence, that's only because we've known his presence and it's a funny kind of thing, but actually we can, it's, it's a good thing, it's good news that God is the one who pulls us, this is his initiative, and in this story we see, you know, God is the one who is seeking these people, God's initiative. Um, secondly, that it, it, it you know, Cornelius, um, the angel says that we've seen, you know, you're a God-fearing man, you give to the poor, you pray continuously, um, but still he's saying you need to be converted, like it's, you, you need, um, to hear the message, you, Peter had to come to, to tell him about Jesus, that he could be born again. So when we, you know, conversion isn't a call to be 
moral and religious, but it actually comes, you know, the Holy Spirit challenges often our morality and our religion because so often we can we can put our pl- ourselves in the center of our lives in a, a few different ways, but sometimes, you know, we can do whatever the heck we want, what feels good and treat people badly and just sort of don't worry about anything, live the way I want to live. Or we can actually, the opposite extreme, we can kind of put ourselves at the center by making sure we keep all the rules and being really moral and making sure I like, well, I go to church and I don't do this and I, you know, so both of these are ways of being our own saviour and our own Lord. And so the Holy Spirit's not interested in us being good, but in us being born again, that we get to start from scratch no matter what. And so conversion or, you know, the, the heart of God through this is that it doesn't come to kind of call us to morality and religion, but often is actually a challenge to So it wasn't bad that Cornelius was like that, but yet still he needed Jesus and he needed to be born again. Thirdly, conversion comes through the words of the gospel, that Peter is actually speaking about Jesus. He is preaching the good news. So why didn't the angel just zap Cornelius to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, Actually, there's something about the gospel being preached that the Holy Spirit works through belief in the gospel, and that means that we need to be people that speak about Jesus and tell what, what we've witnessed of who he is. It kind of would, again, it feels like it would be easier, but if we didn't need to do that, can't God just sort of do all that? But actually, he, you know, we, we, uh, ex- we receive his spirit and then we, part of how we give that away is actually to tell people about Jesus. Um. A couple of final thoughts. That one, this is all about what the Holy Spirit is doing. So uh, I don't think we need to kind of come up with all these plans suddenly. You know, it's God's initiative. We don't need to to be kind of right. Okay, I'm going to go. I'm now I've got to be anxious about finding every kind of boundary that I might have in place, and then busting it down, and go and find every person that I think maybe did I think they were unclean, or maybe the ones I thought outsiders. I need to quickly go and find them all and make them insiders. But Peter was just being led by the Spirit. He was just thinking about lunch um, and <laughs> sit waiting for lunch to be ready, and he was praying. But but you know um, he was being obedient to what the Spirit was leading him to do. So. In this sense, again, we can relax into being receptive to the Holy Spirit. What's kind of cool when God's involved, I think, is that there's the evangelist, the one who's telling uh, the news, and there's one who's being converted. But Peter and Cornelius in this story are really both being converted. Peter converted in a new way. Sometimes as we help other people or as we connect with other people, then we might think that we're the ones that are giving away the good news, but often then they show us parts of our lives that need to be saved, that need to be converted by the gospel. It's kind of like we we might stand alongside someone and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them, but some of that splashes back onto us. And we actually, the one who came to kind of give becomes the one who receives, and it's it's the host becomes the one that is actually receiving. In this story, it says right at the end that um, Cornelius, that they invited him, Peter, to stay for several more days. So it wasn't sort of like slapdash, just tell them the good news and move on. It was actually that the inclusion of the Gentiles into this family wasn't something that became just a really reluctant thing that we're tolerating, but actually it meant that they were then getting to know them. They were staying in their house. They They were having that kind of sitting around a table, becoming family hearing their stories, getting to know each other. 
accepting hospitality from them, from people that they would have thought would make them unclean. So sharing the same table, you know, it's, it's so not about that we're the ones who have everything and we're giving it to someone who needs it. It's actually, we all are continuously being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And lastly, um, this thing about do not call unclean that, that which God has made clean. Like, don't, it's not really about like a dietary advice for Peter about what he can eat and like whether we should feel bad about having bacon for lunch after church um, or whatever it is for you. But, but actually like we can, we can be open. Like while we don't have to be anxiously making kind of plans to bust everything down, we might be sensing where is God showing me that I have some boundaries around who I think is an outsider or he might be opening our eyes to our own prejudices helping us to see th- people as he sees them, like changing our worldview. And he, he will do that. Um, we, can, we can trust that he's leading us and working in us. But one thing I, I had sort of sat with as, we were, as I was thinking about this is just to finish on this, that you know, if we were to have a similar vision where God showed us that sheet coming down with things that were unclean, I wonder if we kind of, some of us might actually find ourselves on that sheet in our own minds, whether we would look at ourselves and feel inadequate or unclean or guilty. But God is telling us to call nothing unclean that he has made clean, including ourselves. So if we're doing this to ourselves, then actually we can, we can again turn towards him. You know, uh, conversion really is just that turning to, to face him and to walk in that direction that we get he's wiped away our sins he's already the one that's chasing after us he's already um, made us clean he is in our lives and so the good news for those who don't yet know it is also the good news for us that we too can be reminded again that that we ourselves are also ones that God has included because he loves us in the message version of when Peter's inputs it this way, Peter fairly exploded with his good news. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. And that's true for us today as well. Liz, why don't you come on up? We're going to, to lean into what the same spirit that is working in these people all these years ago um, where the where we find our place in God's family because of the story that we've been included where the the boundaries of us you know people like us being outsiders that we get to be insiders means that that same Holy Spirit that fell upon that group in Cornelius's house is here with us this morning so we're going to spend some time listening and responding so Liz is going to guide us in that